Hello and welcome to episode 19 of the Retro Anime Podcast. I'm your host Ian and as always I'm here with my co-host Lewis. Hello Lewis. Hello. How you doing? I'm doing very well, doing very well. I'm in a bit of a makeshift set, uh, makeshift setup but we're, we're doing just fine. Yeah, literally uh, recording with everything on your lap, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Like a true professional, holding the microphone in one hand with a can of beer in the other. Yes, recording like a true professional. Talk about these two spectacles of anime. <laughs> these two spectacles. So uh, before we get into it, I just want to say, so uh, we're in October at the moment, but so last month we celebrated our third anniversary of the podcast. So here we are three years later, which is um, which is good. So I just want to say thank you to everyone who continues to support us and listens and downloads regularly. We're still getting new listeners and, you know, still got a very, very global um, listener base. So, you know, just want to continue to say thank you to everyone for uh, continuing to support us. So, yes, as you kind of alluded to there a bit, Lewis, so our two OVAs today. I picked these two OVAs um, because they're very similar in themes, in their content and how they've been executed. They kind of represent the kind of OVA content that was quite common in the mid-80s to the early 90s and was kind of really typical of what was licensed in the West during the early 90s, during that sort of anime boom, uh, certainly when I kind of really understood what anime was. And both of these are your typical super violent action OVA. So the first one I'm going to talk about is uh, the Giver Out of Control so there's been three adaptations of Yoshiki Tiyaki's Kyoshiku Soku Gaiba manga. There was this OVA from 86, an 89-1990 12-part OVA and a 2005-26 episode TV series. Plus two live-action films released in 91 and 94. So I think you've seen the 12-part OVA with me, haven't you, Lewis? I have, yes. Yes, the far more coherent version. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so this is your first viewing of of this OVA out of control. Yeah, it definitely is out of control, isn't it? My <laughs> God, I don't know if there was a difference. If you could, you could watch it at two times speed, and it would still say, make the same amount of sense. Like, <laughs> you know, it's just like whoa. <laughs> right. Well, we'll get into that in a minute then. So, um, so the twelve part OVA was most people's introduction to the Giver. It was released by Manga Entertainment in the mid nineties um, on a kind of unique. 12 part video cassette so each cassette was basically sort of half an hour it was six pounds an episode um interestingly a lot of people at the time when i got it i you know i saw the artwork it looked amazing i bought it i absolutely loved it and even people that weren't really into anime that i showed it to loved that series it was it seemed to be quite because it was quite different um you know a lot of people who i didn't think would like it really liked it and then blue sonnet you know, by Takeyuki Kanda, who for me is one of the unsung heroes of uh, 80s and 90s mecha anime. He's done a lot of big mecha series, uh, you know, alongside the Gundams and the Bowtomes and the Macrosses. But his series often get overlooked. Actually going to cover Firm on the Retro Mecha podcast at some point in the future. So, uh, again, Lewis, you've not seen this, have you? No, I haven't, no. It was, uh, it was definitely an interesting one. Um yeah, I've got quite a few things to say, say about Okay. It. Yeah, I've seen this a couple... Of, I first saw this only about three years ago, so because um, a, a fan sub finally became available, and I was desperately trying to see all of uh, Takuki Kanda's back catalogue. Okay, so that's kind of a bit of a background to this, so we'll get into the first review. So our first review today is Giver Out of Control. This is a 1986 OVA. Uh, it's also often listed as a movie. Directed by Hiroshi Watanabe, who also directed the Slayer franchise and Star Ocean EX, amongst a long list of other director credits. Um, he also did a lot of key animation work on quite a few series and movies as well. It was produced by Animate, Movic and Bandai. The character design, interestingly, was by Tuyu Ashida of Fist of the North Star fame. 
It got a Laserdisc release in Japan, um, but hasn't had a DVD or Blu-ray release. Uh, it was released in the US on VHS by US Renditions back in the early 90s, uh, I believe, or very late 80s. But it hasn't been relicensed, and it's never had a relicense in the West. Uh, so, brief synopsis. Sho and Mizuki are waiting alongside the river until Sho finds a rare artifact. When he touches it, numerous vines come out of it, and he is sucked into the water together with the artifact. Before Mizuki can react, she is surrounded by a bunch of monsters that call themselves Zoonoids. But suddenly, the Giver appears and defeats them all. But because Sho is transformed into the Giver, Mizuki's life is in danger and has to defeat Giver 2 to save her. So, Lewis, Giver out of control. What do you think? Yes. Um, it's fast-paced. It's unapologetic. Yeah. And uh, it's beautifully animated. And I also love the sound design. Yeah, it's quite an interesting one, I think. Yeah, uh, I, I really like the animation in it, and I really like uh, I really like the the sound design in it as well. I think it's brilliant. I think it's so funny because uh, it's just like it's all. I mean, it's it's unapologetically quick to to get to the action. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then it's all about you know yeah, <laughs> young Shio. <laughs> Is it Shio? Show. Show. Yeah, young Show has gone from being like I'm just walking a a young Japanese girl back from school. <laughs> Yeah. Now suddenly I'm a cyborg warrior, and my <laughs> friends are dead. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like he's like he was once a small schoolboy. Then yeah. his friends died, and then he had to walk a desert somehow in Japan. It's like, he walks through a desert in Japan yeah. somehow, comes yeah. out the other side in some rural part of Japan again. Yeah. And then uh, eats some corn on the cob. <laughs> Straight from the straight from the thing. <laughs> doesn't make any sense. As if there was no other su- form of sustenance for him. Oh, and then you know, and then he's found by the government. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so quick and just ridiculous. But like he's immediate master of the power of the Giver. And, yeah. Um, I really enjoyed it because it was just ridiculous. Yeah, it's. To be honest, I kind of struggle with it a little bit because there's so mm. many plot holes and gaps in it. Yeah. Oh, and like so you say, many. it runs along at breakneck pace. Mm-hmm. And like you say, it's very keen to get to the next action sequence and the next bit of violence and gore and, and everything else. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I've read some of the manga. I've read the first few volumes of the, of the manga. Mm-hmm. And apart from the opening scene where the the guy who's escaped from Kronos and's got the Giver units gets picked up by the van and then, you know, the guy wants tries to rob him and the guy turns into a zoonoid and kills him and, and then goes off and gets surrounded by the other zoonoids and then show finding the Giver unit. That's common in the manga and all three anime adaptations, yeah. right? But yeah. beyond that, like from what I've read of the manga, it then completely deviates. And apart yeah, from Giver two gone. and Giver three they're the only things that are kind of common in this iteration or this version um, that relate to it. So I don't know. I've tried to find this out in researching for this re- review, but I, I can't work out how much because the manga come out in like early 80s, I think. Um, so I don't know how much of the manga had actually um, been released before this got made. Um mm. Probably a few volumes, I'm guessing, but yeah, it just kind of goes off and kind of does its own thing. So um, yeah, I mean, but you know what it has got that the others don't? What? Fighting spirit. Yeah. <laughs> it's got fighting spirit. <laughs> <laughs> I could not get over that scene. I could not. I just, I watched it back like four or five times, and I was like, it doesn't get better than this. It doesn't get better than this. It's a bit of fruit. It's a bit of sweet citrus fruit, but I'm still, I'm still enjoying it. Um, Which bit's like, that? Where, where after he gets, after he's walked, um, after, <laughs> after he's gone through the desert in Japan. Oh yeah, yeah. And he's come out the other side, and the guy goes, "Yay! Hey, by the way, we've got your your girlfriend at the oh, Docklands." Oh yeah, yeah. And he's like, "Oh, that's that's the final straw <laughs> for me. I'm gonna." get angry now and the guy's like come completely unprepared alone uh facing him <laughs> and then he's surprised when he gets absolutely obliterated by him when he becomes the guyver again yeah and then he's like right time to take matter into the guyver's hands and then it's this sequence where he's suddenly at the docks 
its fighting spirit. And yeah. it's just him ripping Zoonoids a new one. Yeah, and he's literally... While fighting spirit plays in the background. Yeah. <laughs> so good. So good. It's oh. um because that bit where he's just like slicing Zoonoids up, you know, and they're yeah. just yeah. being vivisectioned everywhere. Yeah. It's it's great. Mm. I love the I love the corners that get cut in that as well because um you know when uh the other Giver comes up and sort of just starts exponentially explaining to yeah. him uh how superior she is and why the the Giver yeah. is the way it is and then uh, they have this fight where um she's like you can never beat me naturally <laughs> and then she beats him up uh throws him into something it explodes uh they jump into the sky against each other she roundhouse kicks him to the back of the head, and then he spins her around and throws her into something. And then those exact three, exact three animations happen again. And again, yeah, I know. <laughs> Later on in the fight, and they've just repositioned it and zoomed it in yeah. and changed a few of the color cells. It's so <laughs> funny because it's not even it's not even slightly <laughs> like no, changed. I know. Identical, and... repeated, and I'm I'm not even mad. I'm not mad about it, Ian. I'm not. <laughs> I know. I you see. I think it's quite entertaining. It's, like you say, it does. It takes shortcuts with that. It, it, the, the, a lot of the plot doesn't make sense. It has a terrible ending in that it doesn't have an ending. It just it introduces. It kills some people off. Introduces Guyver three and then ends. Yeah, yeah, with, yeah, with, with, <laughs> oh my god! The whole thing. Guyver it just appears. It just appears and yeah. then. He's like, don't worry, it... Guyver yeah. One. <laughs> Everything will become clear, and I'm like, will it? <laughs> Please, dear God, make. <laughs> and it just and it just ends, and yeah. you know it makes um, no sense. It may, absolutely makes no sense in that respect. It goes um, everywhere and nowhere at the same time. The, the thing is, the basic story is fine. You know, it speeds through in a fairly logical order. You know, it establishes Kronos. It, the units, the Zoonoids, Kronos trying to get Show, Mizuki being kidnapped, Show fighting Guyver 2 and rescuing Mizuki, the end. I mean, that's pretty much it. There's a flashback in there that was quite effectively used that tries to sort of give some background to Show and, and his story and everything. And, you know, it's 50 minutes and it is disjointed. Um, like you say, there are scenes like the walking through the desert bit in Japan that make absolutely no sense whatsoever. So he kind of walks out, walks through the desert for a bit, and then, walk, like you say, just walks back into civilization. Yeah, well, he's, he walks through the desert, collapses, and you're like, oh, God, what's going to happen to him? Oh, he's fine. He's found some corn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, the other bit as well, I mean, there's, there's some other kind of sort of silly bits in there as well. I mean, Mizuki seems to spend most of the, the running time unconscious, yeah, I mean yeah, she's unconscious when um, Show becomes the Giver and fights those Zoinoids. Um, she's unconscious through the kidnapping and and everything as well. You know, it, for me this kind of feels like a bit of a teaser for something bigger. Yeah. Um, you know, the yeah. manga I was quite popular, so I can imagine um, there was you know, and I can understand this as well that there was some sort of desire to get something animated out quite quickly. Yeah, yeah, um, I can see that. But it kind of. It's a bit of a mess, really. Yeah, he's um, a huge mess. I mean, the the fact that you know when his friend like, so he's there in class and he's getting hazed. Yeah. And he's still thinking about last night, and his friends like, Haha, "What are you thinking about? What are you thinking about?" And then just gets a bullet through the skull. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> and then it, and then the other guy just gets another bullet through the skull, and he's like, "Oh Jesus! Oh God!" He runs away, and the and then the security guards are also being gouged. Yeah. But those are the only three people that have been killed for no discernible reason. But no one else notices. None of the other classmates notice that two of the classmates yeah. have got bullets in the head. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they scream, and then he runs out, and then uh, finds another person dead. But then that's it. It's like, why? <laughs> who who shot him? First of all, I mean, we get we can assume it's the government and the Zoonoids. Yeah, yeah. But like, they didn't even make a move after that. They just did it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no. They literally just decided to murder a couple of school kids in cold blood, and probably found out afterwards. Oh yeah, actually, that guy was a guy. That... Well, yeah, because. You know, the big boss of Kronos, um, what's his name, Genzo Mikishima, he's your standard big evil corporation bad guy CEO, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Grey hair, moustache, you know, starts... He's not even a Zoonoid. No, 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 he's he's using all the plebs to turn them into Zoonoids, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. uh, 
I, I like the fact that he um with um Valkyria um he moans about how hard he's worked to get where he is. Yeah, you know, they're always like, "Oh, you wouldn't believe how tough it's been and how hard I've worked." Yeah, everything's falling apart around me. I'm yeah, trying when to he grabs confidence. it, like, yeah, he's yeah. just like everything's burning. He's like, yeah. <laughs> "You're you're gonna go down with me?" Oh my god, I can't believe this is all happened. <laughs> <laughs> now to spill my life story in the final fifteen second my, seconds of my life before Giver Three. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was a it was a journey. Yeah. So Guyver 2 appears in the manga and, and they've kept they've... various bits of that because in the in the manga in the 12 part OVA it's actually a man so mm. the um, this guy called Oswald Liska who is actually Guyver 2 and Valkyria would appear later in the manga um, mm. and she would become the Suedo Guyvers with synthetic control medals which you kind of get in the other anime adaptions as well. Um mm. So Guyver 2's control medal is damaged as part of the explosion and, you know, eventually causes her to go wrong and collapse and kill her. So it keeps that, you know, that's one of the bits it does keep from the from the manga. Yeah. Um, but again, and, you know, everyone goes on about that. When they watch this OVA, the one thing they go on about is Valkyria's assimilation scene where... Um, mm. Yeah, yeah. Why is that the only one that's like, sexualized? yeah. You yeah, know, well, I don't it's, get it. It's like, it's like, oh, for God's sake. <laughs> so you sexualise her to start off with because she's she's in yeah. a leotard in a gym and yeah. everything. showing her training and then you like know. afterwards, yeah. And then like... And they basically get tentacle rape. Yeah. You know, as she becomes... It's just like, oh, for God's sake. No, I know. Yeah. It's such a product of 1986 or, you know, mid-80s Japan OVA scene. It really is. Yeah, it's tasteless. Um, tasteless it stuff. is tasteless. Very, very tasteless. But... You know, I guess for the market that it was there at the time. You know, I think ultimately, though, as much as it's very distasteful and, and everything else, given the market it was produced for, I think it does what it does quite well. You know, it's meant to be a violent, schlocky action cartoon for teenage boys. Yeah. Jesus, teenage boys are watching it? Blah. Well, <laughs> that, yeah. this is what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the you know, that, product that's, of its time. That was I guess, the market, you know. You know yeah. and, and as you know, as, as distasteful as it is, it's everything it does. It kind of does what it's supposed to do. You know, that's what the yeah, market yeah. was going. It, it's, so it's definitely it's short. It's buzzy. It's violent and sexualized. Yeah, I guess yeah that's, exactly. It's, it's that's, you know that's you does what ask. it says on the tin, really. Yeah, budget Guyver. <laughs> I mean, the animation I personally think is kind of average in it. You know, I don't know. I really, I thought, I thought it had a certain je ne sais quoi. Yeah, I, I think for um, other stuff at the time, I, you know, I always say, you know, eighty four, eighty five was when anime animation kind of got really good. Um, and I don't think this is quite there. I think there's a lot of other stuff around from that time, a lot of even stuff that we reviewed. That looks bet a lot better than than this does. So yeah, yeah, I, I mean, can, I can agree with that. But I just think the I don't know. The, I think the style kind of I like. Yeah, I like the style. I agree. The artwork and the style I think is is really good. And the the Giver itself, you know, that design is just iconic. And and even now, over thirty years later, it's still such a cool design. You know, you can understand yeah, it does why look like it's a bioweapon. You know. Yeah got real longevity that design i think it's an absolute all-time classic i don't think it'll ever really kind of not be cool the guy yeah no it has aged incredibly well and i think it will continue to do so yeah because it always quite surprises me i mean you know it's been various remakes and it's been like 15 14 15 years since the tv series um so i think we we must be due another guyver anime reboot i'd be, by I'd now. be into that you know i'd actually yeah. I'd be very happy to see that yeah, I would. I'd love to see another um, anime adaptation of it because each one's done a bit more of the manga. So you know, having I think he's pretty much finished it now. It'd be nice to see uh, you know a nice high quality sort of complete thing that tells the entire story. But I think yeah, I think it's good. You know, I'm a bit torn actually about how I feel about it because it's I mean it's kind of crap in places. It's schlocky. It's crap. It's disjointed. It doesn't make sense in places. But it's the Giver. And therefore, it's yeah, cool. Yeah, it's, it's god awful, but I love it. I first saw this about ten years ago, and about five or six, seven years ago, I ended up watching all of them back to back. I watched this, then the twelve part one, and then the twenty six part one. And yeah, you know, it's you know, as we said, it's flawed, but it kind of it hits the right beats, and then you can 
compare it and you know a lot of people say all three of those anime adaptations have you know haven't aged particularly well or whatever but i mean i loved watching it again and i you know i enjoy watching this it's it's the guyver as i said it's yeah it's, it's, it's just, just it's just got built in cool yeah this uh iteration is just like i said at the start is un- unapologetically fun yeah uh and i think that's enough to carry it yeah and i think for 50 minutes i think that's it that's enough yeah, um, I think so too. It's, it's a memorable experience. I'll, I'll look back on it fondly. <laughs> yeah, like I say, it's violent. It's full of blood. It's got quite a bit of gore. It's got some. It has got some. You know, as you said, it's got some reused animation in it. But a lot of the battle scenes are quite good. There's, there's quite a good bit where the Giver is fighting Giver Two, and I think it's in front of the cell where Mizuki is, and Giver Two throws the Giver at a screen where where Makashima is on the screen. That like that some of that bit is actually really well done. You know, it's a really sort of well choreographed fight. So um, it, it certainly, you know, has a few. Uh, uh, certainly has quite a few plus points as well. So I mean, I, I'd recommend it. You know, if you're into sort of your 80s sci-fi and and cool powered suit design type thing, then you've got to see it really. And if you're a fan of the Giver, then you should kind of check out sort of where it come from. So scores. Scores for me, I'd have to say, I'm going to give it a solid, if I was to be like brutal at it, at it like in, like brutally honest on how much it's worth, it's probably worth a 5 out of 10 or a 4 yeah. out of 10. But considering the enjoyment I got out of it, I'll probably give it a 7.5. Yeah, see, I'm, that's almost exactly what I, I mean, I kind of like, on, on face value for, you know, content and how good the story and plays out and how many plot holes there are in it, it's kind yeah. of like a four, four or five. It is but, a four, sort of, yeah, it's probably a yeah. four. But, like, it's just fun, and it's that's fun. okay. It's the Giver, and it's cool. And yeah. so it gets a seven, really, for me. It's, yeah, I say it's hard five, to score. Seven. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's difficult to know how I feel about this because I love the Giver. But this isn't the best adaptation of it. So, yeah, I mean, I'd recommend it. Our next review is Blue Sonnet. So this is a five-episode OVA released between 1989 and 1990, directed by Takeyuki Kanda. It was produced by Mushi Productions in conjunction with Tatsunoko. It was based on a manga by Masahiro Shibata that was released between 1981 and 1986. Uh, it was released on VHS in the UK by Manga Entertainment and by Central Park Media in the US uh, during the sort of early 90s mid-90s but it didn't get a dvd release hasn't even got a dvd release in japan and you know hasn't resurfaced anywhere since really so a brief synopsis of blue sonnet sonnet is a cyborg esper from a harsh background it is now trained to be the ultimate warrior and most powerful weapon in the world she is sent to japan to watch lan Komatsuaki, who is thought to be controlled by the rage of the esper akai kiba also known as the crimson fang lan is a quiet girl who knows she's different from everybody else and starts to show signs of Crimson Fang after coming into contact with Sonnet. In the course of fighting with Lan, Sonnet starts to rediscover her humanity. At the same time, Lan has to fight to retain her humanity and control the Crimson Fang. So, here we are, Blue Sonnet. I, mean, I quite like this. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, I haven't really uh, ever, uh, I guess, watched uh, a long OVA series that... Uh, sorry, not an OVA, a long series... Um, that is it an OVA? It is an OVA. Yeah. Oh yeah, so yeah, long OVA that um, 
really tells its, I guess, namesake, its backstory through the opening credits. Yeah. You know? Yeah, uh, so I think that's quite a neat touch. Yeah, it's, it's, it is a neat touch, because it's, it's pretty much everything you need to know about her. Yeah. You know? And it's just like... But I, I still don't understand why it's called Blue Sonnet, because it's really not about her. No. It's, you could call it Blue Sonnet Red Fang, yeah. and that would probably be in line with... You know, because it would be like blue versus red. I like that blue yeah, sonnet yeah. thing. It'd be it, that would be a much better title. Yeah. Um, and it probably like it would it would be on on line with most of the crazy Japanese anime titles out there. But like yeah, so like it's named after her. She's always she's pretty much the sole trade of the opening uh, opening credits. And then it sort of like sort of falls to the wayside. Uh, and and as you learn about the other primary characters, who you spend way more time with. Yeah, you see, I, I agree. I mean, that's one of the you know the points I've got down in in my notes. Um, you know, it's called Blue Sonnet, but Sonnet barely in it. Um, to be honest, it's you know it's definitely Land's story rather than Sonnet's. And you know, I've watched this a couple of times over the last few years. Um, it still kind of surprises me just how little she's in it. And like you say, you've got the blue versus red, um, and I agree, it would have made more sense to do something in the title around that. But you know, I think it's. I enjoyed it. I, you know, I think it's it's pretty good and on. It stood up well on repeat viewings. Um, yeah. You know, it's a fast-paced and, and entertaining OVA. Uh, the story evolves in a fairly standard sort of OVA fashion, but it's a good and interesting story that's quite well developed. The pacing is kind of really lit down by some sort of sporadic exposition dumps in the first couple of episodes that feel really clumsy. Mm. You know, um, a good example of this is the sequence at Dr. Onagara's house. There's some plot developments there. So Dr. Onagara, they go to him because he does all this study in Esper and psychic powers and everything. And Land's sort of uncle or guardian uh, takes her there because he knows of him. Um, And like they're testing Land's powers and he get the reveal of his daughter and of Dr. Onagara's daughter and how he's destroyed his family but it's like it's done in these massive exposition dumps um, I think after about episode 3 they disappear and the story actually flows much much better um, but yeah mm. it does feel a bit clumsy at, at times yeah it's um, it, yeah I guess I, I can see what you mean I mean the first few episodes really aren't that memorable to me because they feel like no. the start of every sort of you know, she was a yeah. star pupil, and then the yeah. transfer student came out of nowhere and started stealing all the boys. <laughs> and uh, but but secretly she was a cyborg wo- weapon. It's like it's kind of like oh yeah, I've kind of seen this all before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. it might be it's an early iteration of one of its uh, tropes, but um, yeah, I don't know. I I kind of zoned out the first yeah one two three episodes. I guess like first yeah. maybe the first two. Uh, and then when she started using her red fang power, and it became a bit more interesting to me. Um, well, yeah, I like you... I, 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 I kind of like giving the excuse to give the brother the uh, pseudo Esper yeah. powers and things like yeah, that. Those yeah. are quite obvious, uh, like little plot points. I, I did think it trucked along fairly well, um, but yeah, it was the, the first few episodes struggled. Uh, I think once it gets to episode three and they get to the base where they then go and try and rescue Lan from this corporation, what they called Azumi corporation yeah um and their secret base i think that's where i think that's where it kind of gets into its stride as it yeah. loses some of the exposition and the action ramps up a bit better and a bit more yeah consistently. there's more drama and there's a bit yeah. more at stake yeah, yeah rather than just like moving signs out of the way yeah uh, absolutely. it's like because they know full well she's red fang yeah like, like at, <laughs> even at the very beginning like she she like goes full esper and moves yeah. like something to save her life and like, i'm not sure yeah, not sure she's an expert. It's like God, what? Yeah, what? I know. She stops the sign and then stops the Formula One car crashing in into uh, into them, and it's like, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah still not convinced. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of a strange. But yeah, it makes like I like. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It was a it was a cool. I don't know. A lot of things happen for the sake of happening to sort of like yeah. build that. I guess combative nature between um, Kamatsuzaki and uh, yeah. uh, Sonnet. So I guess 
Yeah, it, it worked. Uh, but yeah, like the, the, the follow-up episodes where everyone's um, they know she's a Crimson fan, they've got her in the lab and yeah. tensions building. That's a lot more interesting because every character is playing a role. Yeah, yeah, uh, and doing something, you know. Yeah, I agree. Actually, uh, that's a really good point because I don't think there's a lot of really wasted characters in this. You know, there's there's a fair few characters, but they are quite. They've all got their bit to play. Um, so I think it does the characterization and handles that really, really well. I, I, I agree. I think that's that's one of its strong points, definitely. Because, mm, yeah. um, you know, this OBA can be really sinister. Um, uh, you know, the the bit in when they're in the bait and there's those two women who are being used as sort of wombs to grow clones of Lan. Yeah. And that whole bit, you know, that whole bit through there, I think is, is really, really particularly sinister because those two women are like, they're almost like androids until they kind of end up snapping out of it when they realise what what's being done to them. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I couldn't help but feel like like Lan's sort of take on that was just like, you think you're gonna survive this? Yeah, my child. And they're like, yeah. oh, but she's like, I thought like, oh, she's bluffing, but it actually completely works out, and it's kind of like, I don't know, it just felt like a weird drive for yeah. me. And like, it made yeah. sense, but it was like she's manipulating them, and that's kind of against her character. Yeah. Um. But I, yeah, but it's, I don't know whether that's kind of like the red fang bit, the survival mode coming out. Because yeah. I think Land's portrayal, or rather, the portrayal of how Land's power develops, I think he's done really well. You know, going from some initial indications to her going full red fang, and you know the awareness, and then her trying to control it. I think that's I think that's pretty decently done. Yeah, I what well, I I do have, I mean I can, I get it. But like my, my, my issue with the Red Fang thing was like she looked really cool in the opening when she's yeah. like Red Fang. She's like clearly got her powers under control and it's her fighting off against Sonnet in the opening sequence. Part of the opening credits still. Yeah. Um but then throughout the entire OVA, Red Fang is treated like an entity separate to her. And then yeah, even when yeah. even when um that guy who's helping her like contact red fang is like oh no you know it's not an alter ego it's you it's definitely you it ends up being a, a different entity anyway yeah i mean i think i kind of know what you're not saying being her. It, it's not lamb it's the red fang yeah and I, but i think that's i think that's kind of the point though isn't it i think it's meant to be this sort of separate entity that's you know because there's this whole backstory to you know, she's part of the ancients and everything else, and it's the ancients part of her that's yeah, sort of dormant like, in there. So I, I kind of get that. If she's a descendant, that would make her of that same power spike. So why can't she just have that power? I don't understand why it has to be treated like it's just something out of her control. I mean, clearly she's using it in the ending sequence, like subconsciously, but I, I don't know. Yeah, I, it was just one of those weird things. I don't know. I, I, didn't, I mean, to me, to me, it made me. kind of sense. I, I, you know, I kind of, I kind of got the sense, you know, that she was brought up and there was just, you know, she didn't know, you know, she was smuggled out. Yeah, raised by that, wolves. <laughs> I know that that bit's a bit naff. I, I you know, I have to kind of admit that, yeah. you know, out of the plane crash, but. The fact that there's this latent thing that she's not aware of that her dad was, but because she was brought up without a dad, you know, that kind of worked for me. I could, that was plausible enough and mm. made sense in the story for me. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just nitpicking. It's a much better yeah. story ever. <laughs> well, that it is. Yeah. It's, um, it, yeah. it's kind of. I mean, it's similarly violent to the uh, Giver, you know, and this is why I kind of paired them because it's got that real visceral people being chopped up, heads exploding, blood everywhere. Yeah. I mean, the bit where they're fighting the tarantula, um, you know, I think, again, I think it's a really good sequence, but it's got these webs and it's just slicing people up. in Yeah, like right reinforced fibre wire that yeah. just, like, cuts people up. Yeah. I mean, I think I really liked the last three episodes. I really yeah. did. However, I felt like a lot of it, they just couldn't find an excuse to justify why Sonnet wasn't there for them to get go. Yeah. So they can. There's no discernible reason why that would be the case. Why? Um, what Americus? Americus, yeah. What would go anywhere without? Would go anywhere without Sonnet? You know, in, yeah. in that situation where Red Fang's present. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it seemed that did seem a bit of an odd choice. Yeah. I was about to say. I mean, I've I I haven't read the the manga of this, and I'd be interested to see in the manga how 
whether she was, you know, the side, almost like a side show in that compared mm. to Land's story. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, because like we say, she's very absent from it all the way through. I mean, I quite liked the way Sonnet had the change of heart. She was very focused and very committed, and then certain events happened that made her question whether she was doing the right thing. But then her sense of duty or sense of mission kind of still kind yeah. of took over. I mean, I thought that was quite good. I quite like that. Yeah. Um, you know, her abhorrence to um, Tsunagi, who's the sort of head of Azumi Japan. You know, he's going to shoot the girl, Yumi. You know, yeah. And, and Sonic yeah. was really sort of horrified by that. And, and, and stopped it. Yeah, you know, those sort of things I think, you know, was pretty good. Yeah. Um, the violence is, is quite good. I mean, there's a couple of really good bits where, like, Sonic punches the head off one of the Fist of the North Star bikers. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then yeah. um, Sonagi popping, uh, sorry, Land popping Sonagi's eyes out with her mental powers. That's. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty, that's quite that's good. pretty tight. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, those bits are, you know, that that's kind of really good. But like the Giver, though, uh, you know, and there's a lot of from this time. There's a lot of parallels and common themes here. Is that it's got a, another incomplete ending. It there's loads and loads of loose ends at the end of mm. this. Was um, there meant to be more? Well, yeah. Or was it just? Seems... Is it kind of like it's like an easy way to cop out if there's more to tell? Like you know, it's just like well, we don't have a close off. If we get another, if we get recommissioned for another season, we could easily pick it off. But you know. so. You know, I, I had exactly the same thought, and I researched quite extensively to try and find out, because this, for me, to me, felt like it should have been six episodes, right? Yeah. Because five episodes is an odd episode length. So three episodes, maybe four, but five, it, normally you go to six. Um, so it feels a bit odd, and it's like there should have been a sixth episode that it never got. Now, when episode five come out, it was right at the end of the bubble economy, just as it burst yeah, in Japan. Yeah. Mm. And I wonder if the money ran out because it's quite a small production. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like it didn't it sell. Seems like it. an easy place to end it, sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. I mean, to me, it feels like it was like actually we're going to have to wrap this up in in this episode. Then maybe they started episode five, and it's like you know what, guys, we're not going to get six. You're going to have to wrap it up while you're making episode five. It. That's to me. That's how it how it feels. So I mean, I can't tell you, you know, how the the manga ended to see whether it was, you know, yeah. it should have there should have been more, and another episode would have actually have wrapped up the story. It's it's difficult to say. So. Yeah, it's, I would imagine so because if you're going to get commissioned for a set number, you'd get commissioned for a set number, right? And then yeah. once that money's in, that money's in. It's just up to them to spread that budget. Yeah. See, so, so I know some a lot of. OVAs were dependent on the sales of the money. You know, there was a set of money to come through, and then it had to sell a certain amount to start making, which is why you see quite big gaps between episodes of OVAs. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was a production time, but there was also a, a revenue thing that, and and getting the money to do the next one, mm. uh, which is why in the sort, of, especially in the late-ish 80s, there's a lot of unfinished OVAs. Yeah. Um, out there because of because of that. The way it was drifting kind of around in the outer yeah. world's wastelands. Yeah, so um, lost in space debris. Yeah, <laughs> all these space OVAs. <laughs> um, yeah, Blue Sonnet is another example of anime's obsession with psychics and ESP and science fiction. Yeah, but it's just so uh, fun to animate. Yeah, you know, you know, it's just it's just something very visual. There's something very visual and visceral about animating it. Yeah. Um, and it's it's it can be easily made into a spectacle, mm. um, and I like that. Yeah, you see, because I, you know, I, I have a similar theory to it. Because I mean, if you look through the eighties, you had you know stuff like Lock the Superman, Toward the Terror, Cosmo Police, Justy, you know, um, Esper Mami, you know, there was loads and loads of it. And I think it's one of those things that is quite, you know, I think there's uh, an, an interesting sort of you know spirits and stuff in japan it's kind of goes in it's kind of part of the culture mm. um but i think some of the stuff that you see in anime like it's impossible especially at the time it was impossible to do in live action or very very hard to do in live action so i think you know anime was the perfect medium to you yeah. know actually 
do those things that they really, really wanted to do. So, yeah, I, I agree. I think it was a, a thing that looked cool and you could do with animation. So, going on to some of the characters, I think Mericus is the standout character of this OVA series. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's a typical egotistical yeah. maniac genius, isn't he? He's yeah. Uh, yeah. hell-bent on taking over the world. Yeah, he's quite funny, yeah. really. Mm, it makes sense, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, I think he's probably the only standout character. Aside, from... I think he's quite funny because he's drawn really weird. He's got bizarre eyes. Yeah, he's tiny, bizarre eyes. He looks like a he looks like a Saiyan. Yeah, <laughs> he just looks like a decrepit Saiyan. But yeah, I think you know after they yeah, uh, I, think... I like him because he's he's really protective of Sonic and Bird. Yeah, he's got. He's um, very humanist. He's they, they humanize him in that weird way, don't they? Yeah. Even though yeah. it's like, it's like you don't need emotions, but he has emotions himself over them. Yeah. And it yeah. kind of doesn't make any sense, like for development-wise. I mean, if there was more of a story to tell, possibly, but it doesn't make sense. Is it, is it like if it if it came back on him, and that's the way it was? It was like he was just purely worried about his own self-preservation, but it's not like anyone would, like, any of the higher-ups would ever get rid of him because he's too valuable of an asset, right? Yeah. So he does actually care for Sonnet and Bird because that's evident. Yeah, because it makes sense. I, I, I can kind of understand you You get very sort of protective over your creations, don't you? Because um, mm. one of the other things that makes me laugh about him is the way he, he um, belittles Sanagi. Like, he's constantly like, oh, you see, you guys in Azumi Japan can't control anything, you know, and he's constantly yeah. belittling him and, and winding um, Tsunagi up, which I, I actually found quite funny. I thought that was, yeah, yeah. I thought that was quite good sport, really. And when he got captured by the tarantula, like, he actually intervened to save, yeah. you know, yeah. Bird. So it's kind of like it's weird, this, I don't know, weird... Again, screwing over Sanagi while he yeah, did it as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He just couldn't handle him having a one-up <laughs> on him. Yeah, so it's like a very egotistical origin. I did like him. I think he is the standout character. Yeah. Um, for sure. You know, and like the Giver, um, the bad guys are from a shadowy, big, evil corporation that is developing super weapons and relies on kidnap and torture to get things done. You know? Uh, yeah, again, I, I, think, I think I like that. I'd rather have like a big, that. evil yeah. corporation than uh, some boring dystopia. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's, again, I think it kind of fits in with 80s big corporation culture mm. as well. Yeah. I really like the fact, you know, like with the guy, but it focuses on the Japan branch of this big evil corporation. Yeah. And, like, the middle management are in this constant power struggle with each other, and they are constantly screwing each other over and stabbing each other in the back to their yeah. own detriment, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I, I find that hilarious. And that depiction... and. And the guy, and it's exactly the same in the Giver and a multitude of other '80s anime. But I, I, I love it. I think it's, it's great. Um, you mm. know, I love seeing that kind of power play. Tried and tested. Yeah, very, very yeah. tried and tested. I think even, I mean, certainly by this point in the late '80s, it was um, very, very tried and tested. So, mm. uh, yeah, I mean, there's a couple of other things. Um, the opening theme music, I think, is really good. I, love I the really theme. like the opening theme. I, I really like it. It's on par with, like, JoJo themes, you know? It's a, yeah, it's a great... It's a really, really good... I mean, the rest of the music's sort of bog-standard, but the opening theme is awesome. Yeah, it really is. It's probably one of the best I've heard of, of its era. Every time I watch it, I mean, sometimes I'll often skip... You know, a show's got an, an average opening. I'll yeah, skip over yeah, it. No, but this right. time, every time I watch it, I'm like, nah, I've just got to listen to it all the way through. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Oh, I did yeah, that exact yeah. for every episode. I did the exact same thing. It is a standout bit of uh, opening theme music. It really is. You know, the animation I think is pretty good. It's not absolutely. No, it's not blowout. It's but it's good. It's a. It's yeah. It's no. It's nothing special. It's just yeah. Clean. Yeah, looks nice. You know, yeah. again, sort of fairly standard eighties, late eighties sort of anime. Um, nice mechanical designs in it though. You know, the tanks and the tarantula. I think yeah. they're pretty good. You can tell where um, the extra uh, extra money went into the yeah the, the, um, the care and detail and things like that, especially in the Esper fights. And, you know, you know and more. again, the trench is quite interesting because you know, like with the obsession with Espers at that time, you know, it's another walk-in mecha design. You know, sort yeah. of autonomous mecha design. Um, 
I mean, there was a lot of other things, you know, Pat Labour 2, Ghost in the Shell. Yeah, they yeah. All, they all had the similar walking uh, mecha. Spider tanks and, yeah, spider things tanks, that, yeah. exactly, you know, so, they, again, nice, you know, nice designs, you know, I, I like tanks, I, I think tanks are really cool, and the tank designs in this are pretty good. Um, the one things I, you know, I, find, I do find quite interesting about this, so Takeyuki Kanda, he did a lot of long-running shows at Sunrise, so he did the original Ultraman anime adaptation from the tokusatsu show he did dragonar he did vifem um you know he did eight started the eighth ms team um in the mid 90s so i think it's it's a really different change of direction he's not with sunrise having been with sunrise for the previous sort of 15 or so years um mm. so i find it quite interesting he's gone off and done something different i mean whether he had a an itch to scratch and it's like, oh, I want to get on this OVA market and do something really gory and violent like all these other guys are doing. Yeah, little um, passion project sort of thing. You know, I mean, it's very different, really. In And he's doing, and it's, uh, you know, the fact that it's a manga adaptation as well, it's very different to, to what he's done, you know, in the previous sort of 14 or 15 years, which I, I find really, really interesting. But yeah, I really like Bruce on it. I think it's, uh, you know, it's a really good story. Um, it's really kind of my type of OVA, you know, I like the fact that it's quite violent um, and really action-orientated, especially those final three episodes. Yeah. Um, and it stood up well on repeat viewings for me, you know, I've seen it quite a few times in the last few years. And, you know, I enjoy going back, watching it again, and I watched it twice in quite close succession for this review. So, and even the second time of that was like, yeah, I'm still really enjoying it. So, um, you know, it's like a solid eight out of ten for me. I mean... If you're into sort of late 80s, early 90s action OVAs, then this is right up your street, really. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say it's exactly my cup of tea. So I'd probably give it a... Uh, I'd probably give it a six if I was to yeah, do it. Yeah, I, I get that. I think I think if, you, if you're sort of similar age to me, if I think if you got into that... If you were into anime during the 90s... Um, especially, you know, during that first boom period when most of the content that was being released was like this. And if you like stuff like Demon City, Shinjuku and, and all those sort of things, then you'll like this, basically. Um, so, I mean, I, yeah. I wholeheartedly recommend it. Um, but I, I, I understand where you're coming from. I think if you're if you're not really used to this sort of thing or you, you haven't seen a lot of it or are used to more modern anime i think you will struggle with yeah i think you'll struggle with both of these to be honest both of these mm -hmm. reviews and and you know maybe blue sonnet in particular yeah blue sonnet i think just because it was just a bit a lot of the modern storytelling is a lot better at immediately grabbing my attention with characters and motives yeah yeah um yeah, and I understand because standards that. standards are a lot higher and if this is at the end of a boom and things are getting like just shoveled out to sort of make the most of the boom I feel like a lot of a lot of it's like sort of kicked through the mud until it gets to the meat of the manga, right? Mm, yeah. And I think like so it's evident in the last like three three episodes that they spend at one place. It's like that's where a good hearty part of the manga takes place. Yeah, and, you know, there are there, you know, like in modern yeah, anime yeah. you get filler episodes and things like that, things that are pointless watching. But I don't know, a little bit of, a better adaptation of the manga would have been. I guess nicer if there was better if the if the source material allowed it, you know. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, for me, yeah, not not quite there. Yeah, I, I think again, if you've watched a lot of this stuff, and you've spent you know maybe the last sort of twenty years, twenty five years or so watching this stuff, and was watching this stuff twenty years ago, then it'll be well up your street. But I think yeah, you're used to a certain type of storytelling and and how yeah. these OVAs were presented. I mean, the OVA market like this doesn't exist like it did so you you sort of definitely into um yeah it's definitely a, a thing that you kind of get used to so um, yeah, yeah 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 no i think that's i think that's a fair comment really mm -hmm. there's actually only one ova that still sticks with me uh that i remember quite fondly i'm not i'm not sure for better or for worse i can't quite remember the quality of it but east of eden oh yeah eden of the east the eden of the east that's the one eden yeah, of the east yeah and that that really sticks with me as a standout story. Yeah, that's quite a modern. That's Kenji Kamiyama, who you know I think is a really good director. So, 
Yeah. yeah. That, yeah. That, again, I think that's... that grabbed my attention. That's like one of the ones that really, if I was to think of an OVA, I think of Eden of the East. Yeah. But again, I think, again, that come out, I mean, that's fairly relatively recent, you know, last yeah, it's eight, definitely... eight or nine years or something. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So, yeah. So yeah. again, it's a very different period of era of storytelling in general. Indeed. Generation. Indeed. Yeah, for sure. Kimi to Utari So that brings us to the end of our reviews. Next time we're going to look at a couple of romantic comedy OVAs with reviews of Dokushin Apart, Doku Damiso and Starcat Full House. Where to find us? You can find us on Twitter at RetroAnime. You can find this podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher Radio, Overcast FM, Podbean, CastBox, Podcast Addict, Pocket Casts and most podcast hosting services by searching for Retro Anime Podcast. We have a website, retroanimepodcast.com. You can email us at ian at retroanimepodcast.com. And I'm quite active on the Anime UK News Forums, where my username is organ. So that is the end of the podcast. Quite interesting discussion, I think. Mm, a fun series. Oh, okay, I guess one fun butcherment of a series and one full <laughs> OVA. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> series. Very good. And also next time we'll be ranking the Jojo Bizarre Adventure intros from best to worst. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that for some another time. Another time. Another time. Yeah. Okay. So uh, yeah. So quite interesting. Like different viewpoints on some of this old stuff. It's um. It's quite yeah. interesting how uh, how uh, you know what what you kind of used to sort of sort of shapes your uh, perspective and opinion of these things really. Indeed. Indeed. Okay, so that's it until next time. Until next time. See you later, Lewis. See you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Bye.